0: questioners, excited to finally bring you all our December 17th live Questioning Everything podcast episode that was in collaboration with a few folks from a private Facebook group that both myself and co-host Robin Thick are part of called The Dinner Table. So you'll get to know a little bit more about that group and uh, what we're all about in the episode. So I'm not going to bore you with those juicy details, but for that episode, the question that we covered was... Is there such a thing as Black privilege? And if so, what does it look like? Now, to answer that question really requires going into many layers of privilege and what that looks like within the Black experience. So definitely listen in, come in with an open mind. Um, But even in saying that, I... I have to say it was probably it was a really fascinating and interesting episode with a lot of great dialogue. But in addition to that, there were some opinions that many folks might find polarizing or difficult to hear, which I understand. So with that, I must warn you that the topic of the transgender experience does come up. It is important for me to emphasize that QEP fully recognizes and values every person's human dignity. Some of the opinions or viewpoints included in this episode do not represent the podcast and highlight the diversity in how many of us view the world and others. I apologize if anyone is offended by the thoughts and points of view expressed in the episode and welcome opportunities for folks to chat with me or share why and how they were impacted by those points of view. The goal of QEP is to exchange information and give everyone an opportunity to have their voices heard, provided those opinions are not based in hate or express viewpoints that are designed to perpetuate hate, ideology, and thinking. Another point I want to address is my own personal mention of black male privilege and how I saw it demonstrated within my own family, and that's my 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 the family of my parents, uh, my brothers and siblings. This is not in any way to demonize my parents or how they raised my male siblings. If anything, it is to raise awareness about how the differences in how boys and girls are reared can, without intending to do so, create more harm for young men, especially black men. All the same I welcome the opportunity to talk about this more with my parents and brothers, if they would like to, and hope that in me sharing this personal part of my family my, or my family life, that it allows others to reflect on their own families and the ways that we can all work together to ensure every child is, whether male or female, raised with the same expectations about their behaviors and actions. As I think many of us have come to realize, the old school, quote unquote, boys will be boys way of thinking has only harmed men and stagnated gender progress and equality in the world. I believe, honestly, if more men are held to the same standards as women and even vice versa, I believe there would be a staggering decrease in the sense of entitlement many people display on both sides of the gender coin. So with that, I hope everyone listening will do so with an open mind. And if you were particularly impacted by any part of the episode, send us an email at q.e.podcast2020 at gmail.com. We'd love to speak with you and potentially have you on a future episode of the show. One last thing. We recorded this episode on Facebook Live, so there are some issues with the sound when two people are speaking at the same time. I apologize if that an- annoys you because it annoyed me the entire time I was editing this episode, so I'm with you. Um, But outside of that, you know, not everyone was using professional mics, so there may be a little bit of issue there. I try to edit it as much as possible, so forgive me if you are just like, wow, this is... This sounds terrible. That's also partly why it took me so long because every time I would listen, I was just like, but hey, we're finding out new ways. We actually figured out another way to um, start recording episodes. Uh, We're even thinking about having some of the episodes, the live ones done via Twitch and then just kind of sharing the streaming key on our Facebook Facebook page, which I recommend you go like right now. It is the Questioning Everything podcast. Look for the bunny logo with a monocle with QE in it. black and white, cute little bunny silhouette. Um, it's an honor of my bunny. If anyone doesn't know, I own, I have, I don't even like to say own, but I have a bunny. He's my first son, my furborn. His name is Thurgood. Uh, there's a lot of fun meaning behind the name. To some, it may be Thurgood Marshall. To others, it may be something else. But I think, uh, once you get to know me a little better, I will, I will tell you the meaning behind the name. Anyway. Enough of me jabbering on. Sorry if you're you you if you, you're annoyed by the editing or the sound in this episode. I apologize. And that's it. Here's the episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Questioning Everything podcast live episode collaboration. We have some folks from a group that is a private Facebook group called The Dinner Table. Now, Robin, would you like to do me the honors or do all of us the honors of explaining what The Dinner Table is?
1: Sure. So The Dinner Table is pretty much um, just a collective of um, people who get together. We try to have open and honest conversations about several things. Um, sometimes it's serious matters. Sometimes, you know, we don't let ourselves get too serious. It's joking. There's a lot of memes that get thrown up there. Um, but it's it's pretty much supposed to be a safe space for um, our just just our age group to kind of talk about things that have bothered us or talk about things that we've seen um, and have an open and honest communication, um, hopefully without a lot of judgment. But, you know, <laughs> doesn't always work that way. <laughs> but, yeah, that's pretty much what the dinner table is. It's just a collective collective. of I guess we, you could say young black youth because technically we are still young because I know. <laughs> so there's that. Um. (laughs) um, Yeah, it's just a place where we get together and we have a lot of um good laughs, good talks,
0: heart to hearts, get up people's insight, and just safe space. Very beautiful. Thank, thank you. You hit it. Um. And one of the other things that unites all of us, we're in 2020. I'm in an apartment, and my husband does not does not understand what being live on video means, and was just out here doing all kinds of craziness. So one of the things that unites us is that we're all, most of us are located in DMV, not all of us, but as I mentioned earlier, the DMV is DC, Maryland, and Virginia, not the okay. department of motor vehicles. Okay. That is not what we are. Don't get it twisted because we will fight you and then hug you and give yeah. you all baby crabs. Afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we roll. It's all love and crabs. Uh, I mean the good kind of crabs. <laughs> <sighs> Had to throw that in there to make sure they caught that. Um, So thank you for that wonderful description, co-host Robin Thick. Um, and before we continue, I just want to take a moment to thank our wonderful comments moderator, Miss Bell, aka On This Call. She looks like her name is Minnie Crippleton. That is a nod, I believe, to Minnie Ripperton, a beautiful songstress, God rest her soul. She also happens to be the mama of one of my favorite comics, the talented Maya Rudolph, yes, ma'am, that is her mama, who we lost to the awful c-word, aka cancer. Um, and so, if you see uh, Bell on here, her name is Minnie Ripp- Crippleton. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have the privilege. Uh, uh, see the topic we're talking about: black privilege. Privilege. See what I did there? Of convening this group of folks to talk through tonight's topic. So, big thank you to you, Bell, and the folks joining us for the conversation tonight. Now, if you haven't yet, please take a second to review the Human Movements uh, and QEP, the Human Movements nonprofit that houses the Questioning Everything podcast. And that is still in the works. We are still building it up. You're going to be launching in the new year. But we created a rules of engagement or guidelines for joining the conversation. So we respect the dignity of all humans and implore you all to, tu- to you all tuning in to do the same. So if you need specific help on how to do that, you can use the guidelines as a helpful guide. They're on the Questioning Everything podcast page. I'm going to link them in the chat right here so folks can go ahead and view at their leisure. And um, if you have any questions, you can always email us at admin at the human move. And we are happy to talk through it. Though there really shouldn't be that much to talk about. Am I right? Am I right? Okay perfect so we're good to go here you go check it out be respectful put some respect on my name all right now we're going to start the conversation y'all what we've all been waiting for we're 30 minutes in so to help us frame this conversation on black privilege it's really important for us to acknowledge the broad scope of this question so one of the first things is to answer the main question is black privilege such a is that is that a thing is there such a thing as black privilege Yes. There is such a thing as black privilege and, but it has many layers, right? So one of the layers that we're gonna talk about tonight will be black privilege as it pertains to the black family and socioeconomic status. The second layer of this conversation is gonna be broken down into the topic and into a topic that has been uh, on my mind a lot lately and that I will explain more when we get there, which is black male privilege. Then we will move on to the other layer of black privilege and that's celebrity black privilege. So what happens when you transcend uh, what, what most people would call race when you have reached a pinnacle in your career where you no longer have to live to the same standards as the average black person. You now have a celebrity status so people love you and your blackness almost seems to kind of fall back into the background and your celebrity status takes precedence. But I will also note that while it may take precedence, it doesn't always mean that you will be immune from the experiences that many Black people have, such as racism. Say, for instance, you go to a country that doesn't know your celebrity, you could experience what a lot of Black people experience. So finally, a few technical things to go over, which we don't really have to do actually, because no one else is in here besides us three, because Black people relate. And so I'm just kidding. Some of the people that were invited to this were late to the conversation, um, but hopefully are able to tune in. And again, if you were not able to join the room before it was locked, you are more than welcome to put your comments into the chat box and we will will read them out and share them and you will attribute the conversation and, and topics to you as you go. Robin has helped us with, uh, did us the honors of uh, entering a comment in there so you could see. So if you're viewing, you want to put a comment into the comment section, please don't hesitate. You're more than welcome to do that. And uh, with that, I'll shut up and I'll let folks um, start on the first part of this conversation. Does anyone want to talk about the the Black family and how the Black family could be a form of privilege for Black folks? I'm not going to lie, I don't see it. I ain't gonna hold you. I don't see it. You don't see that the Black family could be a form of privilege for Black black people? Um, I don't see it. Let me, okay, let me not say that.
1: Define family. I think that it's hard. Oh my God, this is such a complex question. I think that it's hard to say that we have privilege as a Black family because how systemically and generationally the black family has been torn down so for me that's why I say I don't see it or it's hard to see um but I do say this about black people we will create family where there is none Mm -hmm. and that comes from I think a lot of that stems from you know hate to take it there but we going in a lot of that comes from people's families being ripped apart from them as slaves. You know what I mean? So like you could be at one plantation and your brother could be at another plantation and the, the black families there will all of a sudden adopt him and say, this is your cousin. Oh, I'm on this. Mm-hmm. This is, this is your family. Mm-hmm. That's all we have. God sisters, godmothers. you know, God cousin, that's my that's my play cousin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I, mean? I definitely will say that we more than other races, I've I've noticed personally, definitely um taken people who aren't necessarily blood relatives. So we definitely will create a family mm. where there is we we make our own family, and I don't I wouldn't even call that a privilege. I just think. That was that's an in innate thing that we do for survival. That's something that we've always, that we've done since slavery for survival. You know what I mean? And it's not necessarily again, a privilege. It's just something that, it's just a tradition that's been passed down. It's our culture.
2: That's what yeah. we're used to.
0: Okay, so I'm going to help you guys out. So I think what I need to do is help frame this a little bit easier so it's easier to digest for everyone. So there's a myth that has existed since slavery in the United States, that the Black family is broken and that Black Americans do not care about the traditional family unit of a mother, father, and child or children, right? But for many reasons, including the forced separation of families, as Robin mentioned, due to the slave trade and selling, that myth has continued well into the present. But as we know from psychology, psychological research, I was a psychology researcher, any family with the traditional mother, father-mother father, makeup but more importantly, a cooperative mother-father relationship is more likely to be a healthier environment for raising a well-adjusted and more successful child. And I will link all of the research for you all to be able to go uh, look this all up yourself. I'm going to put it in the chat right now. So there's a couple of links about family structures, the Black family, the myth. Those are all linked right there. Actually, you know what? I'm going to separate them out. But the first one that you could see is the lie about the Black families. And this was taken from the City Journal. Um, and it pulls a lot of information about the myth of the Black family and that the, this idea that Blacks do not care about the family unit, which is not true. Yeah, But, true. but one of the things and where the privilege comes into play is that cooperative family, uh, the two heads of the family working cooperatively to raise the children. And something I want to also add is that Even psychology has found that it doesn't necessarily have to look like the traditional look of a mother and father. It can be same sex couples and social science even supports that. Now we understand that there is no doubt that black Americans with a two. So now it's important. Now we understand that the two parent family household is important for rearing, cooperative rearing, right? We can't deny that if you are a Black American and you were privileged to have a two-parent family household that it, with the cooperative parent model, that it didn't set you up for more success, whether it was completing school, which you can also find in the research that I shared in the links. It's shown to be a determinant of you finishing school and ultimately achieving more professional success. Now, it's important to also mention that that doesn't mean that racism doesn't exist. And that's when we have to also come back to that concept of institutional racism, which Robin also highlighted. So thank you for that. But what people fail to remember is that the poverty gap and how that plays a role in how children are able to attain education and professional success is still something that plagues and hurts white people and any person of color. When you don't have the two parent family household or you're living in poverty, it is 10 times harder for you to achieve professional and educational success. Yeah. So in that regard, now that I've put that into into the sphere, the stratosphere of the conversation, do you all see that there is that level of Black privilege that comes with a two-parent model family household, as well as socioeconomic status? You still disagree? Anybody, well, let me say this real quick.
2: I yes. do not come from a two-parent home. And you all know me because we all went to high school together. And we have all graduated and succeeded in our own way. And I am an attest- a test—a testimony to the fact that you don't have to have a two-parent home to be successful. And success really depends on the person, the individual. Yes, but, it does. Um, to me, to me, I feel like in terms of what Robin saying, because I agree, uh, it, it's not going to change anything, and you don't necessarily need a two-parent home. <laughs> to be successful I think you do need a parent with some type of status though because my mother did get her master's Mm -hmm. and she she has always had a very uh, respectful job in the government so I had that fortune Mm, in my my life so I'm just going to leave that that.
0: Mm. Thank, thank you for that
1: so I feel like I can understand where there can be privilege for people who sorry my dog's just doing some crazy stuff um doing people who have two-parent households i can see where that could be a little bit of a privilege because their experience might be different from someone who didn't have that but i also know people who grew up in two-parent households who pardon my french still ain't shit (laughs) oh for
0: sure and, and I want to <laughs> preface this. I know that it sounded like I was saying that is what you need to be successful. That is not what I'm saying. These are <laughs> these are determinants that science has shown do help someone in terms of achieving. So you can still achieve everything without ha- being an orphan, having no parents, having one parent, having but those things about the parent household and the socioeconomic status are one of the highest determinants of success for children. But, I definitely I d- can can see where that can play a factor.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, but I definitely also feel as though, kind of like what Danny says, it's dependent on the person, like, because you don't have to try a a negative product of your environment. You choose how you want your life to shape out. Now, granted, sometimes circumstances, the universe can throw everything up under the sun at you and, you know, things out of your control situations, you, you just can't get there. But I definitely feel like there is, because people could say that we all had black privilege for
0: going to private school. We did, you know what I mean? We did. I, mean, it, I, I, I just want people to feel comfortable saying that, and I think there's a discomfort in acknowledging your privilege, which I don't understand as black people. Why is there a discomfort there?
1: I don't think. I don't think that it was a thing that. I mean, I do feel like I was very privileged enough to be able to go to private school pretty much my whole life. Um, Yeah,
0: that's a privilege for sure. But
1: also, I think that it's not it's not something that I rub in people's faces. You know what I mean?
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It's I think a lot of times that when people are privileged, they use it to not necessarily to their advantage in a negative way, but it's kind of a, oh, oh, well, I did this. I This is what my parents supported me mm-hmm. this. You know what I mean? And it's mm-hmm. it's never been that. Like when people say, oh, well, where did you go to school? I was like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I just went to private school my whole life. But, you know, it's no big deal because I always like to tell people I'm hood adjacent. I went to private school, but for some of my life I grew up in the hood. So I'm hood adjacent, <laughs> you know, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, I just feel like, but I also think the word privilege has a a negative connotation that goes with it as well.
0: Um,
1: do I think that I was, okay. So I don't think that I was privileged. I think that I was blessed. I was blessed Mm. to have parents that were able to be able to sacrifice to put me in a certain position. Like when I think of white privilege, white privilege is something that you just automatically get because you won't. Yes. You don't got to yeah, that's never, true. That's true. true. anything special, but be white. Mm-hmm. And when I think of something that's a black privilege, I think it's, it's something when you think of privilege, you think of it. That's something that you've earned. You've earned that privilege to do something like you earned the privilege to be able to stay out late or the, you know what I mean? Or you've earned the privilege to be able to drink at 21 because you went through the years where you didn't. But, with white privileges you you just have it because you just have it like you were just it, you was born into it, you had no other choice, like you could do the most jacked up things, and you'll still have a level of privilege that we
0: can only dream of is true, but it also comes back to the same thing as you. You could have been born in a family that didn't afford the ability to give you a private school education, correct? And I would still be the shiz naive. Mm. You and we can also you would you would still be the shiz naive, but we can't deny that we also have to really you know when we because I I did I did ethics ethics as my second master's right so we have we have a lot of these philosophical conversations about like okay if I say this then we have to be able to apply it to the other side. And when you said privilege and you said they were just born into it, the same can be said for your privilege. You were born into the family that provided you these opportunities. Now, does that necessarily mean that you lord it over people or you make people feel worse about themselves because of it? No, of course not. But, But, so what?
1: I at least try not to. Because sometimes when people use the wrong two, I got to correct them. Got to be like, baby, that ain't it. That's
0: not it. We mean also. Let's see what our our contact Bell here just put into the chat. She says, "Simply put, privilege is not is just having an advantage." Thank you. Very yeah. very simple. That is the simplest way we could put it. And I love this. I wanted the Questioning Everything podcast to be ABCs like you know Sesame Street for adults, and that just was like perfect. Bell, thank you so much. You're so special. I love you. Um, that was her way of saying you, know, <laughs> you was privileged. You was privileged. <laughs> stop trying to hide it. But here's the thing though, and you hit on something too, Robin, that's really clear. Why we are so uncomfortable talking about it is the negative connotations. And that's why I made, I made the question, is black privilege a thing? Because it immediately, when you see black privilege, your first thought is always going to be white male privilege or white privilege. And we all have that negative, like rigid, uncomfortable feeling of like, oh, you just got that because of your skin, you know? And for black people, it's a lot different. It's much, it's much so more hard. multifaceted. Yeah. That's Speaking of because
2: of your skin, since you're bringing up that privilege. Yeah.
0: um,
2: So basically the way that I've always been taught because I am a lighter skinned black woman and there are some privileges mm-hmm. with it. But my family has always taught me be the foot in the door for you know, others. And that's what I've always taken to heart. Um, So when there are people who are light-skinned that feels though they don't have the privilege, is it that they don't have the privilege because they're light-skinned? Or is it because they just don't have that privilege like what we had? I was fortunate to have a single parent home with a mom that was able to afford me to go to private school all my life. Just like we all grew up Mm -hmm. in the same was the Archdiocese of Washington. Mm -hmm. That was us. (laughs) So, you know, I was, I was very privileged with that. And then I was privileged with um, the fact that I I came out fair-skinned. I mean, both my parents Mm -hmm. are like, but I came out pretty fair-skinned and and that did allow me to get certain jobs that I appreciate. And I always tried to be the foot in the door for others. You know, I didn't want to take advantage of
0: that privilege. if that makes sense. I just want to put that out. And very, and thank you so much for that because it is important to acknowledge the colorism privilege, the color privilege within Black people. Even within my own family, I have four other siblings and two of them are fair skinned. And you see the treatment that we get when we go back to Nigeria. And no offense to my lighter skinned sister, I think she's gorgeous. But my dark skinned sisters, we're, we're just as beautiful, right? But you would see us standing together and immediately the men, In Nigeria, oh, she's so beautiful, oh, they're like fawning over her. And I'm not saying my light-skinned sister is ugly, but the idea, you immediately know that it's because of her fair skin. The first thing that they always say, oh, you're just so pretty, oh, I love your complexion. And it's that colorism. But then there's also the other side of it, not just also the, you know, uplifting light-skinnedness, but the privileges that come with in American status where, you know, there are opportunities that may be given to people of fairer skin maybe because of whatever connotations of fair and, light skin, fair and dark skin that we have in America. So thank you for, for mentioning that part because there is a certain privilege that comes with fairer skin. Well, Just... I wanted
2: to bring the colorism up because with my family, they've always taught me so much history and I probably should have majored in history instead of minored in it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my family's always taught me the history behind the colorism. It had to do with the fact that you wouldn't get the opportunities if you were darker than a brown paper bag. And so that's what made being a fairer Black-skinned person so important. And maybe that's why my family conditioned me to know that you're that foot in the door for your other family members. Because I have brown to dark-skinned family members on both sides of my family.
0: I just happen to come out lighter. right?
1: Because my grandmother is lighter than mm-hmm. me.
0: Yes, Robin's grandmother. And she has green eyes, right? Does yeah, she have green she, eyes? She has, she has, you said what? She has brown oh, Okay. Eyes. But still, so, yes,
2: because my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother are both brown and pretty just like you. So,
1: yes. I mean, so there you go. Said, But even more so, like, the colorism does go... It even goes back further to slavery. I can't even... I can't remember the name of the guy who wrote the letter uh, to how to separate the slaves... Um, I'll have to look that up, um, mm-hmm. but basically saying to separate them, and that's unfortunately been a thing that's that's happened. And like, oh, oh you feel nigga, or you a house nigga, like you know what I'm saying? And it's and it's one of those things where it's like the the fair skin has a privilege of their own, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And it's not saying that it's 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 just a sad state. You know that we don't view all of us when every everybody came from us, all shades and complexions come from us,
0: mm-hmm, they mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. us.
1: whether the yeah. lights are quiet clear, tanned or not they all came from us and it's 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 a cra- it's a crazy thing, but we're getting off topic <laughs> <laughs> we are totally getting off topic so let's let's get back to it. But I do think, I mean, maybe I could say that I have, like, I've never told someone, like, oh, I w- I've never said, oh, I was privileged enough to go to private school. You know what I'm saying? I never said, oh, I was privileged enough to just that. I would like, oh, I was blessed that my family could find a way to be able to let me to go to these these schools. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a single parent household. In a, in a Um, My parents divorced when I was really young. My father has always had, always had custody of me and my brother.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And then he remarried. Um, But I've always bounced between my two homes. And I feel like, um, to me, that kind of afforded me a different situation. And um, it just, I don't know. It just wasn't weird to me. You know what I mean? At first it was weird because, you know, I'm little, but then it's just like this is it's whatever it's normal and even though like my parents didn't always get along and they more so got along more when i was an mm-hmm. adult but i think it helped me understand um that some people you're just not gonna get along with mm-hmm. and that's okay mm-hmm. that's because everybody mm-hmm. don't got to like you everyone don't mm-hmm. got to talk to you um but I think that kind of uh, shapes the way that I deal with with my relationships with people. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you think that maybe us as Black people, we use the term blessed as a way of saying privilege? Because I noticed we always say we're blessed. We never say that. It was a privilege. Yes. Like with the white supremacy. Well, it was a privilege that they were, had the white supremacy, yep. you yep. know, like it was a privilege that I had a, a job opportunity and it was probably because I was light, but you know, it was a privilege that I got that job opportunity. Yes. That makes sense. And, and I guess that's why I brought the colorism thing into it because it's like, well, is it a privilege? Like, is it really a privilege or is it more so the fact that you're, you're lighter than a brown paper bag? Like, you know, it's just that question keeps coming back over and over in my mind, mm-hmm. even now. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- why?
0: You, you know, but before I go, I'm going to quickly just read the chat because one of the things that uh, v- uh Bell had noted was that, you know, lighter skin and colorism, that's all products of white supremacy, uh, proximity to whiteness, which I feel we perpetuate far too often. And that's, it's perpetuated all over the world and not even just in Africa. It's in India. It's in China. <laughs> it's Absolutely. in Japan. I mean- in Korea, it's everywhere. Lightness and white and proximity to whiteness is really upheld as something to achieve and and to uh, uh, you know hope to have. That's why we have bleaching. Bleaching has become one of the biggest uh, skin cream skincare products in the world because everyone wants to be lighter. Why is that? But back to your point, you know, Robin had also mentioned it, Danny, which was that we as Black people, and maybe because of the negative connotation that privilege has with it, we often will say blessed as opposed to saying privilege. But even in that regard, even blessing has had come under fire a couple of times. And I've been in conversations where people have had blessing come, bless coming under because then it's that question of, well, you are blessed. Aren't we all blessed? What does that mean? And so we can all go back and forth on the blessing, privilege, the, the terms, the semantics. At the end of the day, what you kind of also hinted at, um, did we lose Danny? Oh no, she's still here. Oh, she might be coming back. But the one thing that you really hinted at Robin that, um, I wanted to touch on was the fact that like, Ooh, I think I just lost my, my train of thought with that one. Um, Oh yeah. That, uh, even with our blessing, Oh, the thing that Danny hit on, sorry, Danny hit on the topic which is that we can never really fully ever know which one is outweighing the other. And that's the unfortunate thing yeah. about being A, black in America and B, being a person of color. Because we are always having to have that question in our brain where it's like, are did we get this job because of our skills and our talent? Were we a token hire? They needed more black folks, so they hired me anyway or is it because of my skin complexion did i seem less threatening as a fairer skin person or um or is it because oh maybe my african name versus maybe if my name was shakwita as opposed to ngozika agwanu maybe i got the job because they said oh africans we like that african americans maybe we don't you know these are the things that we have to always ask it's this is the, this is so, as James Baldwin put it, to be a black person in America or in this world is to be constantly in a state of rage because you're constantly always asking, like, what is going on? Do I deserve this? Did I earn this? Do people like me because of this or that? You know, it's hard.
1: I understand. Yeah, I definitely can. I definitely understand where that's coming from. It's like, I don't know. Maybe I'll just start. I think I'm going to start using that I was privileged. I think I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try this. I want to do I'm gonna do an experience. It does. Try it. I'm mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. up in conversation, I'm definitely gonna do it. I'm definitely gonna see how, um, black people respond to it. Even though I knew, <laughs> already know it's not gonna be good for them.
0: Yes, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna you, you might get a little backlash. People might get a little salty. Um, but it's a social experiment. We see what they say and you can, you can explain to them eventually. Hopefully they'll they'll not write you off as some bougie, bougie lady. That's cool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You said what?
1: Bell said there's some some people that want to join.
0: Oh yeah, guys, the group is locked. I don't know how to unlock it. Honestly. Let's see if I can unlock the group. You've got the power. They want to have their voices heard or can they just join by being in the, in the comments? Can they comment? Yeah, just have them. They can join the comments. If not, we can restart the group and then everyone again is going to have to, um, okay for me to set it live so we can be able to, to record it. So we have those two options.
1: Well, I think it would be too much to try to have everybody join and then just to, okay. Okay. To live it. That's a lot. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we can just get folks to put their comments in the, in the comment box, please, if you're watching and you want it to be in the actual videos, I'm so sorry. We started at seven ish. I even was late. So for y'all that came in this late, y'all should have been in here. I'm just kidding. No, if you, um, so if you can just, uh, come in the comments, I, I love y'all. I wish y'all could be here. I really wanted it to be like 20 people deep in this conversation. <laughs> so the fact that we have people trying to get in next time, y'all, we're going to do another one. We're going to do another one. I oh, now I'm feeling yes. bad. Maybe we should just do it. let what do you, what do y'all think? Y'all are the well, only three women. In- well, um, I think that we should, um, uh,
1: let people comment and then for next next time next week we can have everyone yes we can see the comments Danny we we yeah, see
0: you. You. we see you yeah you should be <laughs> yeah, the comments are live and we can see you Danny sorry you can't come back in sorry um fiance done caught kicked you out of the group no <laughs> I, I so my got disturbed. I'm mad that you can't reopen it. That's so crazy. This is, yo, I told y'all this is why I don't like Facebook for many reasons. It's very janky and it does these weird things. Why are you locking the group? If I want someone in here, I want them in here. Thank you. Who's the guy that
1: owns Facebook?
0: Uh, what's that dude's name? Dang, I forgot his name. I
1: always <laughs> get
0: that. Uh, uh, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, because I always call him a. De- I always call him a really offensive term, not a ter- offensive term. Oh my gosh, now I sound like I might be a racist. No, I I I I remove the Z and I put another letter there, and you all can God. figure out what that other letter is and what it I'm comes out to.
1: Call him what little Boosie calls him. <laughs> you know, kind of, little Boosie tried to sue him. Did he for, oh, script- for taking away his Instagram? I mean, I'm like I what. Remember sir sir, you cannot show tna on this is not this, this is not the platform for that boosie we love you but no
0: boosie, take that over to only fans where it belongs what are you trying to do he called, boy he, he called him zuckerberger i'm like what that's not the man's name
1: but we're getting off topic
0: okay yes we're okay Let's get us back on track. So, do we have anything else to put on this? So now we we kind of demystified the black privilege in terms of the black family, because. Yeah. But one of the things that I want to do to kind of highlight this is there was actually, I had wanted to do kind of like a, a thinking question so that people could really get it into their mind, because while we've we we've highlighted the importance that yes there is a form of privilege, but racism is still rampant. So the example that I wanted to give people to think about, and I want you to maul this all over, right? So. Let's 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 do a little quick uh, role play. Right. So imagine you're a white man with some level of power in the 1960s. You grew up around white folks, never really knew anyone who didn't look like you. And if we all remember, advertising and media were very racist in the years prior to the civil rights movement and in many ways still is. But. The images we saw of Mexicans and black people and Latin people, all kinds of people was very offensive and very stereotyped in order for us to be able to immediately see them in an image and go, oh, yeah, that's a black guy or that's a black person, you know. And so consequently, your impression, you remember, you're this white man who is in the 70s, in the 60s. You have a level of power. Maybe you're working at at a high power firm. Who knows? Consequently, your impression of other races is probably really dim. You saw the Watts or the Chicago riots, and immediately you put Black and looting together, in your mind, or possibly lazy and vagrant, which was another form, another way that Black people were uh, portrayed, including Chinese people, especially during the years um, that we know of the opium years, the opium wars. They did so many different things to paint certain cultures and different groups in a negative light. Now, so here you are, this white man in the 60s, you don't know many people who don't look like you, You've only gotten much of your information from media and you get an application to your organization. And this is where the institutional racism that we talk about constantly is coming to play. You get two applications, the two applicants, black, what you first, you know, maybe you asked about race in the application. You have two applicants. One is white, one is black. They're pretty much matched to a T. How are you going to choose the right candidate? Now we I know that there are really lovely, good natured, good hearted human beings that can say, I can just look at the two candidates and pick the right one. Right. I'll just pick I'll, I, or I can because they're equal, I can do a, a coin toss. I'll just pick a coin toss. Right. But we know that is in an ideal world and we don't live in an ideal world. We live in the real world. So what would you choose as that white man? Would you choose the black guy? whose imagery of all of the people that like him has just been negative for you? Or are you gonna choose the white guy who you've been around white culture your whole life, this, or white people? And this is, the, this is the dominant culture that you're used to. Who are you gonna choose? Who's gonna make you more comfortable when you walk by the water cooler? Who's gonna make you more comfortable when you leave stuff around your office? You know, remember the looting, remember the looting. You put black people in looting together. Do you feel comfortable hiring a Black man to work in your office or a Black woman to work in your office when all of the imagery you've seen has shown you negative things about them? This is where the institutional racism comes back and where the privilege starts to get cut. So maybe that Black person that applied with the white person had privilege. They got an opportunity. They got an education. They got skills to be able to apply for the job. But then race comes back into play. And we're dealing with the same thing. Here's the thing.
1: So, I'm going to be devil's advocate. Yes, ma'am. You know, that's my favorite game to play. Yes, ma'am. People surround themselves with people who they're comfortable with. They they surround themselves with familiarity. Mm -hmm. And it's not an at-fault kind of thing. To say, oh, he's definitely gonna hire the white person because he only has this negative image of black people. But in the same space, in an ideal world, they'll give he'll give them an interview, talk to the people to see who, you know, who works better. But if I if it's my business and it's a certain image that I would like to portray, mm-hmm. I'm gonna hire is good for my image Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and that's not to say that he's necessarily racist Mm -hmm. but we all have prejudice Mm -hmm. we all have it you know what i mean um i just think that it's 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 a it's a thing where you just hire who what makes you you hire what's familiar to you and if that person's familiar to you and definitely talk about in the 60s, they definitely not welcome by the same water cooler. Mm. <laughs> so it's definitely two separate water coolers. But um I definitely think that um people hire what's what's comfortable for them comfortable for them. And that's not to say that um they won't get that opportunity, but if if it was a situation, depending on the job, if it was a black man and a black woman, the black man would get the job before the black woman would. Even though women are less threatening and
0: mm-hmm.
1: whatever, the black man would definitely, definitely advance much faster and get a job faster than a black mm-hmm. woman would. Mm-hmm. In that year.
0: Even now. Yes. And you're getting, you're getting to the conversation, the next part of the conversation, which is black male privilege. But thank you for mentioning that. Um, and I just want to take a quick second. This is crazy. All right, let's see. So uh, quick quick question. Can people viewing the room, um, they can't comment. We can't see their comments. That's weird. This is another reason why I don't like Facebook. I thought you could be able to comment because remember when we did this before, Robin, my friend was able to keep commenting. My friend Tane.
2: Yeah.
0: Only on live. Not here. I'm confused. What does that mean? Only on live. Not in our chat. Oh, so they can, the people viewing it, there's like a different comment pool for them. Yes. What? Okay, Facebook is real weird. What? Dang, that's messed up. Okay,
1: we have have Jess saying, um, "Hold on," Uh, she said. Danny um, posted this. She said, "It worked at Howard for." She said, "I worked at Howard for a few years, and I miss it every day. Working with my people, it was hard to go back to working to mix company." So that's what I was saying about how, you know, what's familiar, you work with who you know. Um, and then she also stated, um, she said, I think that's debatable. I find white men are more comfortable talking to black women than talking to black men. That is very true. I think that they're comfortable talking to, to black women, um, because, um, I j- I'm just gonna say it because we got tits. <laughs> I'm gonna say it like that. <laughs> but I think they're they're less threatened. Like, oh, there she goes. <laughs> There's they'll say I think that she think they think we're less threatening than talking to black men. I agree. But in the face, I also know um, that when black women put their foot down, or when black women are more assertive and like. Mm, this is my job, I know what I'm doing, or you need to listen to me. Um, they're not as threatened as if a black man would be like, uh, this is my job, I know what I'm doing. Cause you know, sometimes because black women know how to drip stuff in honey. Mm-hmm. Okay. We can really dip your side night in some honey and feed it to you. I don't think that's a talent that black men have black men have. I I already know they don't know how to sugarcoat nothing.
0: Does it yeah yeah, I agree um I definitely see every all the points I think that we are a little bit less threatening for some folks, and you you raised a really interesting point, which is that um yeah, that whole threatening factor is what comes into play even with this the hypothetical that I provided that feeling that threatening may come into play maybe the person isn't necessarily racist, so to speak, but you're going to go with what brings you the less discomfort. Yeah. And if you're someone that's not comfortable, be, if you've never been in, I've met white people who have, I went to a college at Washington and Lee University, and that's a school that is named after Robert E. Lee. So most of the students there are good old boys from the South whose parents are, were fought for the Confederate, who great grandparents fought for the Confederacy, all of that history, right? And we, I got plenty of comments like that. You're the first black person I've ever sat with. I didn't know black people were this smart. I didn't know you would hear all kinds of racially microaggressed, horrible comments. And that comes from lack of experience of people that look differently from them. And then you brought in that whole thing about, yeah, we are women with boot like women, women are who doesn't want to talk to a woman? At the end of the day, most of the people, you know, there is also that myth, you know, where that that people like to say that a lot of fair-skinned people or people that were mixed in the, you know, during the slavery era, that it was always a case of rape, right? And that's always a big no-no to say that because that's not always the case. What you'll find in places like West Virginia and other parts of the country, including Thomas Jefferson, was that these men dated Black women. They actually married, some of them secretly, like married them, not necessarily because you couldn't legally, but they treated them like they they were their wives. And so it comes back to this whole thing of like, what what are you saying? What is your comment? I'm just gonna have to with this
1: whole Thomas Jefferson thing. At the end of the day, Shawty was a slave. Whether she, at the end of the, at the end
0: of the day, she was still. Oh, 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 I'm not I'm not denying that, but we can't always assume that it's based on rape, which is what people like to say. That's not the that's not okay. true. All right,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. I what mean, it, well, it was not, it it was def, it was definitely a not consensual situation, but at the end of the day, let's.
0: There's a po- there's most a de- it, there's most a power, d- power d- dynamic there. You're right. There is definitely a power dynamic there. Yeah,
1: there's def and there's definitely that fear. So I definitely like that's like Stockholm syndrome before, freaking Stockholm syndrome. Like, you know, like you're in love with your oppressor. Like what?
0: Mm. But that's a whole, that's another. That's a we're gonna get. Get off topic there, but that we can talk about another time, but that's not always the case. It's not always being in love yeah. with the oppressor because in some of the States where there weren't slavery, there were still black white relationships. Yeah. Right. Um. But going on. So we, we kind of like beat a uh, beat this one over the head with this. Com- com- and I had shared a link. I'm going to share it too. So people can kind of see. So what had gotten me even thinking about this was a, there was an argument between a writer. I think she was a script writer for, she was a, a, a campaign my uh a lot of it was rape. Thank you for sharing that, Danny. Not to laugh at rape, but Danny did share that, you know, in some in a lot of groups it, it was rape. So I'm not denying that, but it wasn't always. And that's always the thing that you get a little bit of arguments for from, from the from, you know, folks that want to kind of sure that there is a different. There were some folks that were white who married who dated black people and had children with them and was it consensual? Was there a power dynamic issue there? Probably, but um i'm just I'm just paying an opportunity to, to an opportunity for that perspective that I've heard from other people. but I'm gonna copy hopefully, I hope all this chat can be seen by everyone anyway, but like later on. but um there was a Twitter battle between a young woman that was a Bernie Sanders campaign director. Um, she essentially got into an argument with a white woman who is trans um, a trans woman who had formerly been a male military vet, um, worked in DC and he his he his, now as a woman, his name is Charlotte. Her name, her name is Charlotte. So Charlotte, um, at, in response had put a post out that essentially said this, um, let's just quickly look at it. So Charlotte's post originally kind of started with this and it was back in, in August. She'd written, I don't know who needs to hear this but there is no scenario in which Trump being reelected is for the best, despite your obsession with this toxically privileged. See that word again, burn it all down mindset Uh, with this pot, with this, despite your obsession with this toxically privileged, burn it all down mindset, which I think she's probably talking to the more extreme anti-Trump people. And she goes, this isn't a game. People will suffer and die if Trump is reelected, grow up. So I think she's, you know, we're trying to play in that conversation of we need to, you know, dull make the rhetoric not so extreme because it's important to get him not reelected. and of course you know there was a black woman who you know worked on the uh, bernie campaign she writes someone tell charlotte people have long been dying she might have missed it while at brunch now <laughs> well that was rather abrupt <laughs> not to fear Part two is ready for your listening pleasure. So hop back into the app or the website, wherever you are listening to this podcast, and get your listen on, QEP fam. Catch you in a bit. The Questioning Everything podcast is the main multimedia project of a forthcoming nonprofit organization called The Human Movement that was founded by me, your host, Gozi. This show is a labor of love that we hope will continue to grow. Want to be part of this movement and the show? visit The Human Movement online at www.thehumanmove.org. That's www.thehumanmove.org. You can also send us an email at the address in our show notes. Don't forget to connect with us on social media by following us on Instagram and Twitter at Q underscore E underscore podcast and on Facebook at the Questioning Everything Podcast. Just look for the Black and White Bunny logo. Thanks for listening and showing your support. If you really like the show, please give us a positive rating on the platform you use to listen to the podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. Be well and don't forget to question everything.